0: poverty is not solved immediately. There's no quick fix for someone to truly move out of poverty and for that to be lasting. It often takes generations.
1: Hey everyone, it's Alyssa Satara. Welcome to this episode of Haven't Said Enough. Today we're sitting back down with the talented Zach Ingrassi, director, producer, and co-founder of Living on One.
0: I mean, starting from the beginning, we were not expecting to make a documentary. So really, we were just students in university. We actually met at Claremont McKenna College. We were living on the same hall um, of our dorm freshman year, and we were both studying economics and international development. You know, had no idea really what we were interested in, and we started to kind of talk about these issues that we really thought were interesting, and um, it really stemmed from there. So it wasn't it, we were not studying film. Like, we never yeah. thought in a million years that we would be filmmakers.
1: And it was Here in your car. <laughs> yeah. it, it had to happen. Um, so you're studying economics. You're studying international development. If if people I, – I studied similar stuff, so I'm very well-versed in that world. But people who haven't studied it, who's listening, it's really an interesting intersection. It's such an interesting overlap because you quickly learn that, like, economics or and lack of a a booming economy or a flourishing economy is why there's such a hard poverty line and why people below the poverty line struggle so much. So I'm assuming that's kind of what prompted you guys wanting to go live on one dollar.
0: Yes. And I think why we wanted to go I mean it's such an interesting intersection and at the same time because I was coming from Bainbridge Island, Washington and Chris is coming from Connecticut there was only so far we could really learn in the classroom. And mm-hmm. so this whole experience of living under a dollar a day, which was never supposed to be us replicate or replicating living in extreme poverty. It was really just simulating some key aspects of it, um, was to get outside of the classroom and like really talk to people who are mm-hmm. living at that level. And it all started from we heard the statistic that 1.1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. And that was kind of mind blowing. I mean, it had this gut reaction. Yeah, that's
1: a ridiculous number.
0: It's huge. And it's not just a dollar on food. It's a dollar to send your kids to school. It's a dollar to pay for your home. And it's not actually a dollar a day. It's. It's an average of a dollar a day. So some days you get paid mm-hmm. because most people are working as farm laborers and mm-hmm. in, in irregular jobs. It's
1: not consistent it's not consistent. That was a income. really cool part of your film is that you stimulated par- simulated poverty by doing certain things like you didn't actually live on one dollar a day. You'd pick it from a hat. And sometimes you get nine dollars. Sometimes you get two dollars. Yeah. I was just like to
0: replicate that irregular yeah. income.
1: And I, I, seeing that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I never thought of it like that. Like, duh, it makes so much sense when you say it. But I've never walked in those shoes um, or even really seen it that up close. So it just it made, it, it's such a powerful imagery that you guys kind of painted in there. So the, I, I can see how that prompted this journey. Why Peña Blanca, Guatemala? Why that area? What, what drove you guys there?
0: So Chris and I had heard the statistic actually at a conference in the year before, our our freshman summers, and we knew we wanted to dive deeper. And we then, one of our mentors kind of gave us this book called Portfolios of the Poor. And it's this incredible in-depth research. I mean, we were huge economics nerds. So, you know, of the financial lives of the extreme poor. And it showed that they were actually incredibly innovative to manage their money. And this was kind of a totally different way of looking at people in that living at that level it was showing that they were using informal tools to manage their money from savings clubs to you know uh you know buying assets and saving them different ways to push and pull their little tiny bit of cash flow that they had and we knew that we wanted to dive deeper into this and really dive into the financial lives of the extreme poor so um chris had taken a gap year before college, mm-hmm. and luckily had spent some time in Guatemala. And it, you know, this was never supposed to be you know, the next eight years of my life. This was just a summer between sophomore and junior year of mm-hmm. college, kind of a free pass at a summer.
1: Great and way we, to spend the summer. Yeah, we
0: wanted to do something different. And yeah. um, so we decided to go to Guatemala because we saw a couple things. One, it had a pretty stable macro economy, at the, but at the same time, Really endemic, terrible, or pretty extreme poverty, especially in the indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. You know, almost seventy percent live under two two dollars a day, and uh, so we Chris had spent some time there. Thought it was this beautiful place. It was hard to understand why there was so much poverty when there was some stability in the mm-hmm. economy. We just wanted to dive deeper. So mm-hmm. we spent a year planning. We got rejected from fifteen different grants. We ended up just getting enough money for plane tickets to go down there and $56 dollars each. I invited two of my buddies from high school, Sean and Ryan who were uh, kind of budding filmmakers, studying English, you know again, not professional filmmakers. Yeah. and I was like, come down. Um, it was actually Sean's first time out of the country. Oh, wow. He had once been to Japan but never to somewhere like rural Guatemala. So, you know, we were this crew and at the day we show up there, we're like, whoa, what did we get ourselves into? You know, it was like this year of planning. And you two months. Yeah, we were that's there for 56 days. That's a long time. Hours. Yeah, I was there for a long that's time. That's a good
1: chunk of time.
0: We didn't know anyone in the community. So initially it was all, you know, just trying to understand and, and meet people.
1: So you go to Peña Blanca, this, this rural area in Guatemala, really beautiful. I was like my favorite, Stunit. one of my favorite parts of the film is like this beautiful, like green hills and ocean in the background. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to go. <laughs> go there. Um, you go there, you, you want to live on a dollar a day and see what it's like and learn from these people. You guys are, are sleeping on cement floor, sharing blankets. Chris gets some bacterial disease i'm surprised that you guys like he was down a stay after that so you're really in it like you're really really in the trenches what do you think was your biggest takeaway like what did you i'm sure you learned a billion and two things but what if you could pick one thing like what did you learn
0: over the whole experience Mm -hmm. i think there's two kind of important really big takeaways i took one is that Poverty is not solved immediately, right? There's no quick fix to Mm -hmm. poverty, really. For someone to truly move out of poverty and for that to be lasting, it often takes generations. Mm -hmm. But the second thing which really empowered us is that small partial solutions and to start that process of getting out of poverty can be a tiny thing. And these small changes can have a huge impact mm-hmm. in the life of the extreme poor. And some people t- call them kind of like parcel sh- solutions, you know. But if you think about someone going from even $1 a day to $2 a day, it's for cute. us that's nothing. But for them, that's doubling their, their income. income. And it's it fundamentally changes the opportunities you have. It changes how you can provide for your family and, and that, that again starts that process so these kind of the combination of this understanding that it takes a long time but at the same time given a small opportunity people can do big things with it Yeah, I think that was really some of the biggest takeaways
1: I think that's huge I know that um, a, a branch of the UN right now is th- it, that works with Global Citizen, that I know you guys have worked bef- with before. Their their goal is to alleviate poverty, and it's one of the, it's like the biggest mountain to climb when you look at it. But when you just take it step by step, like it's really doable. There's really actionable items, and you guys show that so clearly in this book. Oh,
0: well, thank you, and I
1: think it's incredible. And what's even more powerful than that, because documentaries themselves are just just enormously powerful. But you guys not only created this beautiful film, you went on to drive these really powerful social impact campaigns hand in hand, which is just like crazy. It's like you learned so much and then like you did so much to it. Coming back home and at the end of the film, you guys are kind of being like, what are we going to do to help? Like you say that on right. camera, like it's, it's seen that you, you guys really struggle with that. Coming back home, what was the first thing that you were like, this is one thing I could do to help these people I met?
0: Well, first of all, I mean, picture us in that moment, right? We had – Chris and I and all of us had lost about 20 pounds each. Mm-hmm. Chris is only sh- the one shown to be sick on camera. But we all got sick. You don't – you just didn't want to see too much <laughs> of that. Like, we don't need so, more people getting So, yeah. Get sick. You know, we had um, – so we we knew – and we had built these incredibly strong connections, mm-hmm. especially with these main characters that you see in the film, Chino, um, uh, Anthony, Rosa – um, these people who fundamentally shifted the way that I thought about people living in extreme poverty uh, and, and, you know, we knew these were lifelong connections. Mm-hmm. So coming away, I think leaving was probably the hardest part of the experience, knowing that this was just a summer for us mm-hmm. and these, our friends weren't leaving, right? They weren't That's there. Their, yeah, that's their lives. And, and, I felt so much guilt. <laughs> and I think many of us feel this when we leave these experiences. The nice thing that we had is we left with footage and, and we quickly realized that the best cure to guilt is action. And for us, that meant just starting to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, we we're like, oh, we'll just make a documentary. Of course, that took two years. You know, <laughs> fast forward, we're finishing, co- finishing college. We kind of, Chris and I both specifically have very... Um, big decisions to make. You know, either we can go take job offers in consulting and marketing, which is more traditional for our major, yeah. or we can give this film a try. And we knew, you know, empowered with that message that small changes can have a big impact in someone's life. Um, and we were really focusing on the power of microfinance um, combined with education. Uh, were kind of our focuses of this film. We knew that at the same time, that this was a great opportunity to inspire our peers. And if just our peers could see this, they could help us make a change in Peña Blanca. And so we decided to go live in a 1978 school bus for four months and at least give it a try and show the film. And we designed this campaign to support two really incredible partners on the ground that work in Peña Blanca, Whole Planet Foundation, which supports microfinance there, mm-hmm. and a Mayan Families that supports education there. And you know we had no idea what to expect but the film and that bus ride around the country just going to universities would end up getting you know good morning um uh uh the charlie Ro- charlie rose kind of featured the yeah. the bus trip and we started getting publicity it became number 1 on iTunes and then it hit Netflix it was featured next to House of Cards oh and gosh.
1: when you got know, that Netflix bubble did you guys just look at each other and you were like okay so we did this like how yeah, did that feel? it
0: felt so surreal. And what was even more surreal is the impact that it was creating. People were hearing these stories, going to our website and supporting this cause and, you know, at this point through our films we've raised over 1.3 million dollars for the communities that we wow. filmed in and it's something that we feel that we've proven is that these films can create real tangible change, right? They can create real measurable change that changes people's lives, mm-hmm. changes their mind or changes policy, which has really now become our goal in every film that we create. Hell yeah.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I think we, we touched we touched a little bit on microfinance, but education was another huge pillar in this film. You guys I, I'm gonna butcher this, but you, you pretty much make a really large point that lack of education is lack of choice. Lack of finances is lack of choice. And that's I feel like something you guys really learn there.
0: Yes. And I think what you're saying, and this is what I another big takeaway mm-hmm. is that poverty Isn't really about how much money you have; Mm -hmm. it's about how much opportunity you have.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And when you provide these opportunities, especially when it comes to being able to manage your money with with actual stable tools or get an education, you can see huge change. Yeah, and I mean, I think Rosa. So Rosa is my hero. She's amazing. In living on one dollar, you you see her. She's started a microfinance business with, you know, $200 loan, start selling weavings. And all of a sudden she's making enough money to start putting herself back through school to pursue this dream of becoming a nurse, which is her ultimate dream. Um, we've been lucky enough to follow Rosa's story over the last, now it's been eight years, but uh, you know, fast forward four years, Rosa's, we get to go to her graduation and She's the first – at 27 years old, she graduates high school. She um, is the first person to go to university ever from this village. And she's now in her third year of pursuing her nursing degree.
1: Incredible.
0: And so these things are all intertwined, right? So having that ability to start that business allowed her to go to school. And just seeing when someone can be successful, have those opportunities to pull themselves out Mm -hmm. of poverty – I mean, Russ is a perfect example.
1: Mm-hmm. That It's such a powerful thing to see and hear. And it, and it really is kind of that one more dollar makes a difference. One more action makes a difference. And you can just change someone's life and then change like the rest of their family's life. And this, you know what I mean? Like the ripple effect
0: yeah, it's real. And not all the stories are so easy, but for Rosa, I mean... She's coming up to speak at the Global uh, Philanthropy Forum with us in May. I mean, she's a rock star. She's the one that presented the film at our the last film festival. That's
1: awesome.
0: Um, You know, and she's uh, doing really, really well.
1: Go Rosa! Cheers to Rosa! Yes, cheers to Rosa! To her. What What are you working on now? You kind of you kind of skimmed through it. Yeah, we
0: skimmed through it. So currently working on, and it's been this eight year journey, but really has ramped up in this last year. But we've been telling, been following. Carlos's story every year for the last eight years. And Carlos's story is not as, you know, easy to wrap up like Rosa's. It's not as pretty. I mean, Carlos, the summer that we left in 2010, Carlos left at 13 years old, started working a hundred hour a hundred hour a week selling dog food in Guatemala City in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods um in the city. And has literally been the lifeline for his family for the last eight years. And as the oldest son, he's really taken on this role of becoming the provider. His dad is a, is a day laborer. doesn't make any money. So, um, following that journey, there's been some big developments in his life in this past year. I can't really get into right now, but, uh, if you follow us, I mean, we're able to tell these stories through social Instagram, Facebook, at living on one, all of that stuff, you know, we're, we're we're doing these really cool kind of 8 years later pieces exciting. on all the main characters of Living on One that will be coming out this year and Carlos's is kind of like the big the big reveal so we're excited to be telling people in the next couple months
1: That's awesome.
0: I think you know now with smartphones and you know really democratization of this technology and be able to produce high quality content a lot of times you know in a, a, the current film we're working on so For the last eight years, we've been filming with Chino. His real name is Carlos from Peña Blanca. Mm -hmm. That first summer that we met him, he was like our informal guide there. You know, he went from a 12-year-old. He Now he's 21.
1: I can't even. It's crazy. I can't even imagine what he looks like as a 21-year-old. But part of him
0: is he's been filming himself. Like, you know, like he's got a phone. He films these diaries. And part of it is putting these tools in someone's hand and, and allowing them to have power over. What they're saying and doing and and making sure that you have this relationship that is mutual and and um, it's something that we think about every day is how do you do that better? Uh, I mean, I can point you to there's tons of films now that are that are doing that in a really great way. So it's a really exciting time for documentary filmmaking and allowing people to start telling more of their own stories. Mm -hmm.
1: And and with everything that's going on with news and media, I feel like it's such a great time for people to just sit down for x amount of minutes and really focus on one issue and and hear hear it through the human perspective and not just like right. bickering and, and and news things. In in the hardest of these times, like what really keeps you going and and what keeps you so dedicated to all of this? Because I I can't imagine how hard that must be for you guys to be a part of this journey because you're really emotionally invested in it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of work, but I wouldn't necessarily call it hard work. I mean...
1: I mean, like, emotionally.
0: Yeah. I think it's just the people we meet, which is so cool, is we have this rare privilege to be able to hang out with our friends for eight years and tell their story and, like, help tell their stories. That's awesome. Um, That's wonderful. And so it just becomes, you know, when you have this, like, human tie, it's just so much easier to put in long hours and do what you need to do to make these stories come true because at the end of the day when you see someone like rosa becoming a nurse and
1: like thriving literally
0: we you know we're going back uh in a couple weeks and rosa's currently doing like uh cervical cancer screens in a mine village and that's literally not possible unless it's a nurse trained by someone from that village yeah because no one is going to let you do pap smears like Mayan woman is not going to let some foreigner do pap smears. Mm-hmm. So seeing someone like Rosa radically changing what is available for her community, you're like, wow! I, I played some role in yeah, this,
1: that and that's cool.
0: hugely rewarding. I mean, I I think that's kind of the the fun part of the job. So for that sure. keeps us going.
1: For sure. Was there ever a time that you were like? I might give up. I I I don't know if I'm like up for this. Like every day, yes. <laughs>
0: especially when I You're like this know, wasn't morning. Why am I being a filmmaker? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. is this really what I want to do? And another thing that's great is Chris, my co-director, is really fun to work with. And when I have a shitty day, Chris is usually having a good day. Mm-hmm. And uh, having a like a yeah, a collaborator has been great. I'm sure. Um, finding the right person can be really tough. Yeah. But, but yeah, he's been, it's been great. So yeah, don't, don't let Chris hear this. <laughs> Try not to inflate. I'm
1: going to text him right now. Yeah, It'll be like, okay. all we did was talk about how amazing <laughs> you are. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Haven't Said Enough. Please join us next time as we sit down with celebrity makeup artist and self-love advocate Felicia Latour for a jam-packed discussion on mental health in the Black community, postpartum depression, and her favorite self-care routines. If you enjoyed this episode of Haven't Said Enough, then let us know. Help spread our message by liking, sharing, and subscribing. What else haven't we said enough about? Reach out to me via Instagram and Twitter, at Alyssa Satara to join the conversation. The team at Haven't Said Enough is dedicated to continuing the conversation on important issues impacting our world. We support meaningful causes and your support makes our voices even louder. Please go to haven'tsaidenough.com support for more ways that you can help.